I find that I need to spend at least some time every day engaging in creative pursuits to feel like myself. It's been this way as far back as I can remember. I think that the practice of engaging in creativity every day is what helps me to be creative. It takes practice and dedication and it just keeps getting more interesting. For me, this might mean that I have 10 different projects going on at any one time, and I sometimes do have trouble finishing things before moving on to the next. You know, I've got crochet hooks with projects on them, and I've got paintings that aren't finished, and I've definitely got some musical pieces that are in the beginning stages. Still, I think it's the act of creating that is more personally rewarding and important than the act of finishing. I like drawing, painting, writing, photography, crafting, cooking, and writing and playing music. It was always fun when my children were young to get them involved. And we would, for instance, sit in the yard and sketch the flowers together or compose a piece for them to play together on bassoon, sax, and horn. I started making the saint cards a few years ago. You could call it divine inspiration, coupled with a desire to reconnect with some aspects of the rituals I remember fondly from my Catholic childhood. I know that creativity breeds creativity, so engaging in all of these things as often as I can replenishes my creative process and also me. I count my creative time as one of my most important self-care practices. I typically create just for myself, and I've never really considered an audience to be important for the process. It's really for me more like meditation than performance. And speaking of meditation... I believe that contemplative practice is part of the experience. Many of my best ideas are sparked on my mat or cushion. I've been fortunate to be able to go on retreats, meditation retreats, and uh, coming out of a long period of that kind of quiet can be really um, inspirational. I also have enjoyed consuming a lot of other people's art. I think that's part of the process for sure. I don't do it as much now. I think that um, there was a period uh, in my 20s where that was more important. That was more of what I was seeking out to try and figure out where I was trying to go with my own creativity. When I first moved to Boston from the rural place where I grew up, uh, I splurged on a membership to the Museum of Fine Arts because I really never had the opportunity to go to museums like that when I was young. So I hadn't seen any of the great masters in real life. I hadn't seen even just a big painting uh, in real life. Um, So I would just go on my lunch break from work or just whenever I could get down there uh, and, and spend hours and hours and hours. So that certainly has been, when I look back across a lifetime of creativity, a big part of the process. When I am creating, I am usually also listening to music or I listen to music before I start sort of priming the pump with um, music as a big part of it. Uh, Or if I'm crocheting or doing something, some project like that, that is um, handiwork, sometimes even with drawing, I might be also simultaneously listening to music or an audiobook. Um, 
it really depends on what I'm working on during that time, whether the the music would be a distraction or a part of the process. Back when I used to do more abstract painting, um, music was always a part of it. I was always listening to something. It seemed to interact with the part of my brain that was sort of um, critical of the creative process. Um, that part of my brain could sort of listen to the music and I could just be freer in my work. I don't know, I sort of feel very alive when I'm creating. Walking home with your head full of laughs Whispering the streets as we walk past You say the puddles are a giant surprise Balance on the curb between safety and Kathy Crawley here. My creative area is writing. It's been a lifelong hobby. And after retirement, I had the time and the mental space to channel my energies into writing the book that had been the dream of my adult life. I spent two years in Greece, 1974 to 1976, working as a speech pathologist with Greek cerebral palsy children in a time of heightened anti-Americanism following the fall of the Greek dictatorship. It was a very exciting time for that, for that country and also for me to get to witness it. I had planned to write a memoir and ended up writing a novel, Walking on Fire, which will be published this coming June. One of the most important practices for being able to tap into my creative mind was a six-day-a-week commitment to a writing appointment, 30 minutes in the beginning, timed, and then later stretching up to an hour and a half. 
Initially, my structure was a large box of letters I'd found in my mother's closet when we were selling our parents' home. My mother had saved every letter I'd ever written, from my first sleepaway camp, Girl Scout camp in Sweetwater, Texas, through college years to my two years in Greece. I would close myself off in my room, close my eyes, dangle my fingers over the box and pull out a letter. I then set the timer on my uh, phone for 30 minutes and make my pen stay on paper, writing whatever came to mind. That forced practice served me well as short bits of, as I said, what had planned to be a memoir turned into a novel. And I found that writing in the third person became a more fluid form of writing for me. I enrolled in a nine-month course online and by phone called Write to the Finish with two instructors from Taos, New Mexico. There is a lesson that is learned from Canada geese. These geese fly together. They share a common goal and direction, and they benefit from the momentum of the group. Over the years, I have also found that being part of writing courses and especially writing groups has helped me get to where I wanted to be with my writing. So appointment writing, pen staying to paper, or fingers staying on keys, and flying with the group has helped me find my own pathway to creativity. Hello there, my name is Eugene Poole. I write books for children and adults. My books for children are usually about uh, teen wildlife er interns helping uh, threatened species in exotic locales around the world. My books for adults are usually about art stories, uh, behind-the-scenes stories of famous artists and famous works of art. What helps me to be creative, particularly when I'm working on a fiction, on fiction, a story, a long story, is to think about what I'm going to work on during my morning walk, which I usually take very early from 6.30 to 7.30, either around Fresh Pond in Cambridge with my dog or along the Charles River in Cambridge, which I like to walk on because um, walking along the Charles Pass Harvard University and over the bridges and watching the river life and the, and the young and the students walking by on the sidewalks, um, to me is uh, inspiring and stimulating. And when I'm walking there early in the morning, there's no traffic and there aren't many people. And so it's very quiet and usually it's around dawn and the sun is coming up and it's beautiful along the river and very calm. And I don't have to pay attention to anything because there are walks right along the river that uh, don't even have to cross roads or streets. And I can, it stimulates me physically and mentally at the same time. And it's very easy to think about a scene or think about a narrative in somewhere in the story and be able to think about that for quite a while and kind of spin it out in my head as I'm going along without having to pay attention to anything else. 
such as crossing a street or looking out for a car or talking to someone. So for me, it's a solo long walk uh, in a nice quiet place early in the morning. And I often find I come back to my car to drive home and I've got the scene all worked out in my head and the dialogue and all that sort of stuff and writing problems kind of solve themselves. It's a fascinating, magical experience that I'm uh, very glad to be able to have from time to time. Embrace the day. 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 Kiss your boy, kiss your girl, kiss the sky, though it seems absurd. Kiss all things in the great big world like they ain't been kissed before. Break some laws, break some rules, break some bread with someone new. Break some record you broke in school just to prove you could do it once more. Embrace the day. Embrace the day Drink good scotch or cheap red wine Drink your drink like you're ten days dry Drink each second like it's sunshine And you're living your life in the dark Make your bed, make your speech Make some love to your knees go weak Take some time to find what you'll seek Or you'll never see yourself in the stars Embrace the day Embrace the day Embrace the day Like it's sunshine, cause it's sunshine. Embrace the day. 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 Embrace the day, embrace the day, embrace the day, embrace the day.
the day. Hello, this is Nick Hausman. I'd like to talk today about creating picture books, which is something that is of a lot of interest to me. The story element is actually kind of hard, but the stories that I have created started as bedtime stories. So the creative aspect took on almost an improv quality because somebody was sitting there waiting to hear the story. So if I would pause too long, then they're just wondering what's, you know, what happens next. So that, this was pretty hard for me because I'm not naturally a good improv kind of person. It takes me a while usually to put my thoughts together. But this really forced me to just go with my stream of consciousness, you know, maybe spend a few seconds coming up with a basic theme for the story or just a starting idea and then really just running with it. You know, whatever pops into my head, I just say that as the next line. And then after you do it a certain number of times, you start getting a, a feel for just how to create a little story arc. Not that a kid's story necessarily needs a really involved story arc, but just something that holds the story together. And then another way that I have created my children's stories is just to, is repetition. You know, we developed a certain beginning for the story. So each story, that there was a one series of stories that were about two best friends. One was a pygmy hippo and one was a ladybug. And these two characters, they would always start out by, they were playing hide and seek by a river, hiding in the reeds. And then it would go from there, often involving fairies uh, coming across them or needing help or something else like that. So that, you know, and with the repetition, sometimes the same story was told exactly the same. I mean, the same story idea was told again, but then was developed or changed slightly or enhanced or uh, lengthened. So it's an iterative process uh, with creating those stories. And then the second element to it was after having these stories, how do you illustrate them? Because I'm working to becoming an illustrator and... Uh, so I feel like it's a little more straightforward for me so far. I feel like I already had some pretty strong ideas for images in these stories just from telling them or hearing them. I also illustrated a book that I didn't write the story for. And it, I felt like, what you know, after I read it a certain number of times, I had some ideas for how I wanted the images to look, just something in, you know, a hazy image in my mind. And then I started maybe taking a few photos or looking for reference images online, just things that would help me crystallize my image a bit more, um, make sure that I'm making it look somewhat realistic uh, or rooted in reality at least. And then kind of going from there. Um, for, the, for the children's book that I've illustrated so far, there was one particular image that was that was rather tricky. It was supposed to be conveying the fact that the pool was closed because of COVID during the summer. And so and my idea was to have the main character, who was a girl named Maeve, driving by in her family's car and looking at the pool with a closed sign. So just to get that on the page in the right um, aspect ratio or the right um, space that I had on the page, you know, the angles had to be a certain way. And then, so I tried to take some photos of a car from different angles that would be similar to that and even use a toy car to figure out how that would look. And then um, just started doing some sketching. 
So there's always a lot of thumbnails um, just to get an idea of how it would look, trying a whole bunch of different ideas, see what looks best. And then after the thumbnail stage, making it a little bit bigger, starting to put in a few more details, trying out some more specific ideas. And then after that, doing a, uh, a full-size sketch and then putting that together with the whole storyboard. So I hope you liked hearing a little bit uh, of uh, the story of my creative process, and I hope that I'll be able to show you more books in the future. Well, for me, art, whatever your art form, is about joining to an inner calling. And to do that, you have to show up. And um, my preferred medium is photography. And um, what it involves for me is showing up with my camera times that I have dedicated to being out in the world if I'm working on landscape, to quiet my inner chatter so that I can receive what the world is telling me in mostly visual terms. Anyway, I think at heart for me, it's a willingness to be caught, to attend to, to listen, to be open to seeing freshly. And then the second part is, in any art or creative endeavor, is to be willing to return to it, to try again to see further, to revise, to try to understand better, to ride the wave, see where it takes you, something like that. In the medium of photography, the second or third part of it is also returning to the images that you've made, but with a new set of eyes that are called upon to select and edit and choose among the images made. And that's another another kind of engagement. So that involves, again, showing up to do it and to get excited about it. What are the discoveries? To not get discouraged. Gee, a lot of this doesn't work. Um, but that's another whole kind of enterprise got to be open to surprises and got to be willing to do the work it gives you love takes your breath leaves a smile and regrets it gives too much takes its share leaves a tip keeps the fare I don't know for sure but I'm told it follows us around and some people claim it's that copper that's always dropped on the ground it gives you wealth takes it back leaves you retracing your tracks it gives a damn it takes its time 
leaves you stranded with the time. Sometimes we need it more than we need anything else. Sometimes we wish it would simply leave us to ourselves. I drop this copper on the ground. So if you're down, you might pick it up to coin a phrase. This is my way of praying that all through the day you'll have good luck. Takes its toll, leaves you gasping for control. It gives you bad, it takes the good, but it leaves just like you knew it would. Sometimes we need it more than we need anything else. Sometimes we wish it would simply leave us to ourselves. I drop this copper on the ground. So if you're down, you might pick it up to coin a phrase. This is my way of praying at all Through the day you'll have good luck All through the day you'll have Hi everyone, I'm Valentin Frank, and my medium of creative expression is sound. That's both music, but I think even further down, uh, I find myself most creative when I'm making sound designs for plays and musicals. And for me, there's really two main things that help me get into a creative space, a creative mindset. Uh, the first one of those is the realization that the one thing that breeds creativity more than anything else is creativity. Uh, that the act of thinking creatively, acting creatively, making creative things is the thing 
that makes you feel more creative going forward. And I think what's so refreshing about that is that it's a reminder that creativity itself is not an exhaustible resource. It's not as though you have so much in you and once that's gone, then you're out. It's something that not only renews, but it renews itself. And this is very much in contrast with, I think, the experience that a lot of us have in the world where everything, whether it's money or exhaustion or how much willpower you have for something or hours in a day, we're dealing with a lot of limited resources, a lot of limited capacity. And creativity is the one thing that I can engage with on a daily basis that doesn't work by those rules and is really refreshing. And that doesn't really have to be just in one form either. If I feel like I really want to get into the groove of working on a sound design that's uh, on the docket, uh, doing creative writing or otherwise just as much stokes those sound design creative flames. In a similar but kind of opposite vein, the other main thing that I find that really fuels my creativity is when there's a specific restriction the open canvas isn't really something that motivates me. It doesn't give me the sense of possibility. Instead, it just makes me think of stuff that other people may have put on that canvas or that I have put on that canvas. And so I think a lot of the work I've done that's my favorite or the one that I consider the best often comes from having very strict requirements with uh, what the final product needs to be like. For example, my favorite show sound design that I've ever done was for a production of On Golden Pond that I did at a summer theater back in 2019. And the director gave me some very strict instructions, which was that they didn't want to ever think about the sound, but they never wanted it to feel quiet either. And that gives you a really, really limited paintbrush of sound options to fill an entire show with that feels natural, it feels background, it feels um, like it belongs there, but it never really makes you think of it. It doesn't grab you. And the process was really cool. I placed recorders in various uh, mundane places and tried to record what are the sounds that people hear but don't think about in various settings, and then use that as the palette. And I ended up getting to use them in really musical ways. I mixed them, I changed them, I selected very specific moments to uh, try to really bring meaning out of that. This is Alice Trexler. So how to discuss my own approach to art making is essentially a creative problem solving opportunity itself and one connected to my career before retiring a decade ago. My final degree was in so-called interrelated arts before the word interdisciplinary came into common usage. This degree work and simultaneous experiences in New York at the end of the 60s forged teaching and performance interests that diverted sharply from the influences of my Southern upbringing. I apologize in advance for starting with so much context, but this short discussion will reference past creative experiences at this point in my life. First, I ask myself the obvious question, which I stated at the beginning. How would I approach this assignment to discuss what helps me to be creative in my preferred artistic medium? Also, I was busy for a number of days before the deadline, so as with my former creative practice, 
I let this problem marinate in my subconscious for some time. Later, I had to decide whether I could really complete Reverend Chris's task, as I don't make art at this stage. But I concluded that I would somewhat break the rules to discuss an experimental approach to art making that fascinated me during my active years of creative work. One prominent feature of my past creative process is rule breaking. Now, rule breaking in a practical sense often excludes working within well-known forms, styles, and boundaries of art disciplines. A general example drawn from music is the choice to compose outside of existing harmonic systems as well as outside of organizational structures such as, for example, fugue, theme and variations, and so forth. Even the use of an unconventional source of sound, such as door slamming sounds, rather than notes played on a familiar instrument, takes the listener to the boundary of music as a discipline. And dance as a worldwide performance art exists in many styles, with rich movement vocabularies. Many traditional compositional devices in dance are parallel to those in music. Dance, too, can be broadened by choosing movement outside of known forms and vocabularies. For example, an athlete not trained in dance can be an instrument and source of art. By trusting a choreographer to prompt unusual movement from them, and with their agreement that such movement is not simply strange behavior, the athlete becomes a willing source for experimental dance material. So, my artistic evolution, starting with traditional training, landed me at the experimental end of performance making. Works on the boundaries of art forms are often non-representational, non-linear, non-narrative, and so forth and thus uncomfortable for audiences expecting a familiar experience. There will be no correct response to art on the edges. An audience member tolerant of the unfamiliar can conjure up their own meaning, feeling, and pleasure, or lack thereof. That mode of response is actually the end to a creative process started by an experimental artist, but not an easy task for their audience members. Although I no longer make art, I am still a creative audience member for new music, experimental dance, and theater. My name is Richard Kersey. For some time now, Roger Brown and I have collaborated on a number of original songs. Roger focusing mainly on the lyrics, I mainly on the music, though there's often much give and take uh, on both fronts, I must say. I like to share a little bit of the creative process that guides me in this, using as an example a song we recently wrote called Surely Life. My work with Roger always starts with his lyrics, and he tells me the style he intends for the song. In this case, he envisioned it as a modern-day hymn of sorts, as we were exiting the worst of COVID, started thinking about the journey of that time of aging gracefully, perhaps, uh, and keeping the blessings of life in perspective in spite of it all. Now to get my creative musical juices flowing, I will generally start playing songs from the target genre 
that have a feel and a sound that I'm looking for. In this case, I chose the hymn, The Blue-Green Hills of Earth, by Kim Oler, that is featured in Paul Winter's Missagaya. I was drawn to the sound of a particular harmonic technique used often in this song, where a simple triad is paired with a bass note that is one step below or above the natural root of the chord. For example, playing a G major triad, but an F in the bass, or an F major triad with a G in the bass. This type of harmony has a fresh and modern sound that I was looking for. I also was taken with the lilting waltz meter as it was particularly suited to the iambic phrasing of Roger's lyrics. One, two, three, one, two. The air is cold, the sun is warm, this winter day is good. With my head into the genre, the meter, and the harmonic flavor I was looking for, I start to drift into my own song, starting with a chord progression, adding a little bit of melody, and letting the two influence one another always guided by the natural rhythm and direction of the lyrics. Modern songs have structural conventions that really work, and Roger's lyrics fell naturally into a verse-verse-chorus structure that is common to most hymns. For the verse, I open with that G major triad over the F bass to get the sound I was looking for right away. I gave the verse its own internal structure, starting with one downward flowing phrase, followed by a second that starts the same way, but ends with a closing refrain of sorts that captures the song's title, Surely Life. And with that same harmonic trick, but this time with a C triad over a B flat bass. Since the harmony and the melody of the verse have a decidedly downward flow, and the lyric of the chorus begins with, the sky lifts me up. I felt I needed to create a clear contrast by having the music follow the sense of the words literally upward. And when the lyric finally goes to this life unfolding right in front of me, I take the harmony to an unexpected place to suit the wonder of the sentiment. Roger and I had a lot of fun creating this song, as we do with most of them. We got to use it as a hymn for one of the online services. And then we produced another recording featuring a professional singer and a cellist. And I have it here for you to listen to. Hope you like it. At my name 
by unspoken Every 